great change. Let us open our ears, our minds, our imaginations, and listen across time and space to hear God's wisdom in these words. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and his, the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, and they were Ephraelites from Beth, Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they'd lived there about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, and she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and two sons and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, even if death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. 
When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. For the word of the Lord in scripture, for the word of God in spirit, for the word of God among us. Thanks be to God. When we pick this sermon series from A Sanctified Art, this inviting us into curiosity and questions, we realized afterwards that the question this week, where do we go from here, lined up really nicely with my last day with you all. Um, That said, it is pretty daunting to think about how to answer that question when you're also leaving this place and there won't be time to figure out, how did you actually answer that? What did you decide to do with it? Nonetheless, it's a challenge I'm happy to take on and as I step into this pulpit for the last time, I invite you to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, God of the beginning and the end of life and death, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So our scripture this morning is kind of a lot. Um, Regardless of what translation you decide to use, the first chapter of Eve uses a lot of words to describe what is pretty simple to really get through. There's a famine in the land of Judah, specifically in Jerusalem. Naomi and her family choose to escape this famine by going to Moab, believing that there they might be safe. Once there, Naomi's husband dies, her sons get married, One wife is named Orpah, the other is named Ruth. A decade later, both of Naomi's sons die. It's after these deaths that Naomi realizes that perhaps Moab isn't all that it was cracked up to be. So she decides to return home, and she encourages her daughters-in-law to go back to their homes too. After a bit of back and forth, some really hard pressing by Naomi, Orpah does decide to leave. Ruth does not. Together, she and Naomi return to Jerusalem with people calling out, is this Naomi? A question that seems pregnant with a mix of happiness, but also some sort of disdain. Naomi then tells us that she should be called Mara instead because she ran from the Lord and was dealt with bitterly. There ends a summary of our scripture. Was it shorter? I'm not sure. But I do hope that it was a bit more clear. So, where do we go from here? 
It's a great question to ask after reading that chapter because the story seems at once both finished but also teasing out that something else might soon be coming. Where do we go from here is also a question I asked myself yesterday after events in Buffalo and in Austin. As you no doubt already know, at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, folks who are just spending their Saturday shopping became the victims of what is now the nation's deadliest mass shooting this year. A man who self-identifies as a white supremacist fascist drove 200 miles to a grocery store in a neighborhood that he picked out specifically because of its concentration of black people. He walked into that store wearing military garb with a camera attached to a helmet streaming it on the online platform called Twitch and he opened fire. 10 people are dead, several more are wounded. He wrote a 180 page manifesto that detailed much of his ideology. 100 pages of it, I promise you, is truly not worth reading, really none of it is, but the 80 pages that seemed to matter to him most where he laid out what he thought and believed tells us exactly what he believes and why he believes it, tells us exactly when he became radicalized and by whom. A few hours later in Austin, Texas, at a rally for the former president, Ted Nugent stood on a stage and said, I love you, but I would love you more if you went out and just went berserk on the heads of Democrats and Marxists and communists. He continued saying, evil must be stamped out. I don't share this next thing often, mostly because I still don't quite know how. But in 2008, a man walked into a Unitarian church in Knoxville, and he started shooting. Two people lost their lives that day. His rationale for picking that particular church was that it was filled with liberals and people who liked queer people and black people, and that because he could not get to DC to the elected leadership, he chose to find those who he could reach their voters. My church, only a few miles away, had a police presence for the next few weeks because it turns out that our congregation also now had reason to fear violence of that nature. That day, July 27, 2008, changed lives. Every year without fail, a friend of mine who grew up in that church writes a social media post reminding us all once again of how much that day changed her life, of how much it challenged her and harmed her and her community, but how in the midst of that, she also still maintained her faith. But my friends, when we can't be sure what routine things, like going to the store or to church or to school, when we can't be sure that doing those things on one day won't be the last time that we do that thing, I have to ask, where do we go from here? When only two years removed from our country witnessing only the second ever assault on the seat of government and the responses that our political environment is somehow more toxic, more filled with anger, more filled with vitriol. When the former president parades around the country with people who volunteer that anger, volunteer that vitriol, 
that goes beyond political expression, that goes beyond debating about some percentage to a tax increase or decrease, but is instead openly advocating violence against those persons with whom they disagree, I have to ask, where do we go from here? Now, having said all that, perhaps you too find yourself asking that question. I'll repeat it once again. Where do we go from here? If you're asking that, I hope that you will take some comfort in this truth, that we stand on the shoulders of people, many people, who have asked that same question before. Indeed, it is a question that transcends time and space. When Adam and Eve were exiled from Eden, there's a palpable sense that they wondered, where do we go from here? When the earth was flooded, where do we go from here? When Naomi and her family sought to escape famine, and then 10 years later when she realized that where she ended up was not where she needed to be, where do we go from here? Time and time again, that question is asked. We ask it of ourselves and of our community, often in moments of tumult or heavy tension. So it's kind of a loaded question. It presumes that something so significant has happened that one can't even imagine something positive, something new coming into being. And yet, I think that's the challenge in considering that question this Sunday. I want us to turn that question around, perhaps only in the hopes that I too might believe that something new can come into being from all of this. What if we ask this question not out of desperation or defeat, but instead out of a willingness to listen across time and space to hear the response of old as it might be alive in our time. My friends, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Ruth and Naomi, that God still sits upon the throne of grace. And that God hears us ask this question, where do we go from here? And God responds with a question of their own. Beloved, don't you already know? Don't you already know? One of the beauties of this faith, of our faith, is that we get the beginning and we get the end. The beginning tells us that even though the world was formless and without void, the Spirit of God hovered over, hovered over the deep. The end tells us that the old order of things will pass away and that indeed something new has come into being. We don't get a ton about the present, which makes sense because we're living it. But we do get some instructions. Indeed, what does the Lord require of us but to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves? It's simply put, but it opens a whole world of new possibilities and experiences for our faith, and I think truly for the rest of our lives. So in the midst of all the things that happened yesterday, that might happen today, and that might happen tomorrow, is there space and grace to ask the question, where do we go from here? 
as one of opportunity rather than of defeat? I think the answer is yes. And it will not be easy. There will be a lot of noise. There may be a lot of hurt along the way. Things may happen that we can't fully understand or accept or comprehend. It may indeed take us 10 years or more to fully understand, but it will be done. I opened this morning summarizing the first chapter of Ruth. Here are a few more things you should know about how that book ends. Precisely because Ruth goes back to Jerusalem with Naomi, she gets an entire book of the Bible. That's not a small feat. A bit more about her lineage. She marries Boaz, and they have a son named Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David. This lineage is found in Ruth and the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. As for Orpah, she disappears. Her name is never again mentioned in the Bible. Though she does appear in some early rabbinic literature, in those texts, she is named as the mother of Goliath, the giant who was slain by David, David, the great-grandson of Ruth. I share that extra content not because I believe in the idea that one's misdeeds are passed forever into the character of their descendants, but rather because I want us to focus on the effect of Ruth's actions. Faith told her to stay with Naomi. Faith told her to turn away from everything she knew, everything she believed, to boldly go towards this unknown with no idea how it might turn out, but out of love and devotion and humility. Our story tells us that it sets off a chain of events that lead to David and the eventual coming of Christ. So my friends, again, what if we asked, what, where do we go from here, not as a response to fear, but as a desire to be open to the unknown, to be confident in the path that God has laid before us, to trust that if we too express love and devotion, loyalty and humility, some of these old things might pass away. Something new might indeed come into being. Amen.